Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I, of course, am your one and only host, Johnny Propita, the voice and soul of so-called fiction. Hope everyone's doing well today, all you fiction peddlers out there. It is another beautiful, sunny, hot Chicago summer afternoon on Tuesday. Hopefully y'all had a nice weekend. Mine was good. You know, it's hard to believe that the year is half over already. It's uh, it, We're in mid-July. We all spent a couple months in lockdown. And then for the last month and a half or so, we've been sort of in this quasi-lockdown state where certain places are open and you can go there if you have a mask or you can sit outside at some restaurants. And it is really just unbelievable the number of people that have so much emotionally invested in this whole coronavirus being the end, this end-of-the-world pandemic. I was out this weekend walking around Chicago a little bit. I headed over to my friend's house who lives, uh, you know, like a 10-minute walk away. And I'm walking around, and the number of people that are just walking by themselves outside with a mask on is way too goddamn high. <laughs> like, there is nothing... There is no scientific evidence. There is no uh, literature on this. There is there. There's no nothing that says walking around outside with a mask on is anything but utterly ridiculous. Like, how do you not just feel ridiculous? What do you think the the virus is just floating around the sidewalk waiting to get you? If you, I mean, it's like the the best thing you could do is be outside by yourself, away from people. You don't need a mask on to do that. And yet I saw more than half of the people that I saw walking around had masks on. They were just walking around by themselves. They weren't doing anything. They weren't standing in line waiting for something. Uh, ice, there's an ice cream place by me. Well, it's a custard place. And uh, th- their line was like around the block. And everybody was socially distancing, of course. And they all had their masks on. But then there are just people walking around with with masks on. <laughs> Like, uh, like a bunch of sheep. I, I've, I wonder how long people, like, like if you were to ask somebody how long they're going to wear the mask, I, I want to know what their answer is going to be, or if they even have an answer, if, if it's just going to be until the government tells me I don't have to wear it anymore. I mean, it's like, are you going to wear it for the rest of your life now? Because you know, there's no guarantee that we're going to get a vaccine for this thing, or even if a vaccine is going to do anything. 
the virus can change every year, like the flu. And yeah, it's like they have to kind of guess as to what flu virus is going to really run rampant this year. And then it's going to be like, well, which COVID-19 virus strain of the virus is going to be big this winter or big next year. And they have to have a, a new uh, vaccine for each strand. And like I said, there's no guarantee that's going to happen. So what are you going to do? When are you going to stop wearing the mask? That's, I think, what we should start asking people and just watch them sort of uh, struggle with it because they're not going to have an answer. Their answer is going to be when Joe Biden tells me I, I don't have to wear it anymore. I, I think that's going to be it. Or they're going to listen to the science, the scientists, uh, uh, Fauci, and uh, all of these uh, so-called experts who have been wrong pretty much every step of the way. But um, now that they're telling everybody to wear masks, everybody's wearing a mask while they're just walking around by themselves like a bunch of fucking lunatics. It's incredible to me. You know what else is weird? I've been noticing this shift in the usage of the term Karen. Karen. Originally, a Karen was this sort of suburban white woman who would demand to speak to the manager if if her food was wrong or something, right? Her food order, you screwed up her order, she needs to speak to the manager. And then once all this COVID shit started, it was the the lady that's ratting on everybody for, for not wearing their mask or not properly social distancing. And um, I, I was complaining about a Karen in my building who wouldn't let the uh, food delivery guy in. Made him stand out in like the fucking rain. And I had to go down and get my order because, she, you know, she's a Karen and and the building didn't, you know, the building rules were like, don't let anybody, any food deliveries up. That was a Karen. Now a Karen has sort of morphed into any woman who doesn't want to wear a mask. Like anybody who's just um, exercising their liberty or something. Like it used to be Karen was meddling in other people's affairs. She was getting in everybody else's business, you know, telling you what to do, how to, uh, you know, you're not wearing your mask or let me speak to the manager, like a pain in the ass Karen. And now it's uh, Karen is just a, a woman who doesn't want to wear a mask, who just wants to be left alone. What are we doing here? Stop, stop perverting all of these words. Keep Karen to what Karen is supposed to be, which, by the way, is um, it's also a very like racially charged. Like, how does that not draw ire from from the left when, you know, it, it only refers to white women, right? White suburban women. They're they're the only ones that can be Karen. So you're not going to have like a black Karen or a Mexican Karen. Those don't exist. So it's it's certainly a, a racial term now. I don't understand why this is even acceptable. It seems to be that it's being hijacked by like leftists to sort of shame people, to shame people who aren't who aren't following orders now, who are like exercising freedom, who aren't buying into like the whole you know COVID pandemic scare. This is their way of, of shaming them into wearing a mask or something. I don't know. Weird. I, I don't like that being hijacked. The left's got to come up with their own. Uh, their own characters and their own memes, which is impossible, which is probably why they're hijacking Karen and, and using it for their own purposes. Anyway, I think I've made my feelings on this whole second wave coronavirus thing pretty well known. And we're starting to see another wave of lockdowns or at least reversals of the reopenings. 
out in California. Um, Arizona, they're starting to close down the, the border with Mexico and things like that. And I'm seeing all of these other articles to suggest that all of this increase in, in positivity rates and things like that, it's all bullshit, which we kind of already knew. But this is what they're going to, it looks like this is what they're going to use to justify another round of these lockdowns and reverse all of this reopening. And it just so happens that Florida got a little busted. They got caught with their um, their fingers on the scale, so to speak, reporting the uh, COVID infections. You know how you've been seeing all of these headlines that, uh, you know, all, every day is a new record day for positive COVID tests out in Florida? Well, Florida health officials reported more than 15,000 new infections in just 24 hours on Sunday. But as hospitalizations surged, questions have grown about whether the state is still trying to juke its data. Something that a now infamous whistleblower alleged before she was fired, she has since started her own COVID-19 data portal relying on public info. Journalists scouring the reams of daily data for discrepancies have apparently happened upon a bombshell that they had been hoping for. Orlando Health has just confirmed that some of the data it shared over the weekend were wrong. After journalists reported more than 50 labs showing a 100% positivity rate. One local Fox affiliate looked into the numbers and contacted a few of the labs to confirm that their internal data matched the public data released by the state. As it turns out, surprise, surprise, some of the discrepancies were a little extreme. Orlando Health, one of the organizations contacted by Fox, confirmed that its positivity rate was actually 9.8%, not the, are you ready for this, 98% positivity rate that had been reported to the state. The Orlando VA confirmed a similar discrepancy. The report also showed that Orlando's Veterans Medical Center had a positivity rate of 76%. A spokesperson for VA told Fox 35 News on Tuesday that this does not reflect their numbers and that the positivity rate for the center was actually only 6%. Now imagine that. Isn't it funny how all of the discrepancies seem to be going in the direction of close to 100% positivity rate (laughs) to to justify all of these measures that the state is looking for? I wonder why they're reporting such high numbers to the state. Could it have anything to do with the uh, increased reimbursements they get? Do you think you think incentivizing people to overreport cases would result in overreporting cases? I mean, this is just so obvious. I shouldn't even have to bring this up on the show. But it's nice to know that we're getting that they got busted doing this now. I wonder if there are going to be any repercussions. Probably not. Fox 35 is still waiting to hear back from the Florida Department of Health about an explanation for the heirs. Yeah, keep keep waiting. I'm sure they're going to get right on that one. I mean, it's almost as if this is a concerted effort, a concerted effort to deceive the public, to scare everybody back into their houses, back behind their masks. I just, like I said, I don't know what the end goal is here. I mean, even if these these numbers were true and everybody's getting infected, who cares? Who cares if 99% of them, 99.86% of them or whatever it is, are surviving? Most of them don't have to be hospitalized, and the hospitals aren't being overrun. I mean, could you imagine if every time somebody went to the hospital, they tested them for 
flu antibodies and uh and then reported that as a as a flu case and and it was just running 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Just big red flashing sign. Every like this is how many people have the flu virus now. Flu, 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 flu. This is psychological warfare. And it's working. That's the sad thing. No matter how many times they get proven wrong, it still works on people. We still have idiots walking around outside by themselves wearing a mask. What's the next thing they're going to make us do? Should they come up with a vaccine? No doubt it would become mandatory. They're going to force everybody to, to take a vaccine, a government-mandated vaccine now? That is that the plan? What happened to my body, my choice? It was, what's going to be hilarious is when they do, I mean, they're already doing this to an extent with the mask, right? The same people who will uh, argue for abortion, my body, my choice, will be out there telling that you have to wear a mask. Oh, oh, okay, what happened to my body, my choice? You, you wear your mask and you worry about you, I'm going to do me. But it'll be even better when they, they mandate a vaccine and the my body, my choice people are either going to have to abandon that argument for abortion or somehow do some incredible mental gymnastics on why you have to take the government vaccine. Anyway, it's pretty clear that they're gearing up for something. They're gearing up for another round of this shit. They're going to try to lock us down again. I, I really, um, the, the number of states that have reversed their reopening is, is pretty staggering. I was looking at a map today. Some of them are putting in travel restrictions again. We already gave them a quarter of this year, and they're, they're going to try for more. And all signs just point to this being purely political. I think they're using this to dethrone Donald Trump. I mean, just sit back and think how the media would be covering this if... Barack Obama was president while this was going on. And even though the supposed number of cases were skyrocketing, the, the number of deaths continues to fall or, or the rate of people dying is, is so much smaller than we initially thought. Like there are, there are tons of things to be happy about with all of the data that we have coming back. And yet that, that gets painted as, well, this is still the end of the world. We still need to lock everything down. Could you imagine what the media would be doing with the exact same information, how they would spin it if it was, say, Barack Obama, the end of Barack Obama's first term and not the end of Donald Trump's? I mean, that, that should just be obvious to anybody who's being honest about this situation. And it's pretty funny how all of the criticism just goes to Donald Trump as if he's in charge of everything that the government does. Nothing gets laid at the, the feet of, say, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, whose reason for existing is to control diseases and prevent pandemics from running rampant. They're never even mentioned by any of these politicians. It's always just a Donald Trump failure of leadership or like some other retarded thing as if Donald Trump had just given better speeches. The um, the virus wouldn't be infecting as many people. I mean, give me a break. So it's obvious that they're trying to use this as a weapon against him, regardless of what good news comes of this. Any of the, the metrics that, that they initially claimed would be good things, when we hit those, it's still a problem somehow. It's no, you keep seeing these headlines like, oh, a falling death rate is nothing to celebrate or, or something like that. It's like, what? Uh, yeah, it is something to celebrate, as a matter of fact. That's exactly what we were hoping for. Less people dying from this disease. It's like literally what the goal was. And now, of course, it's nothing to celebrate because it keeps falling and coming down. It's nothing to celebrate because then you might give Donald Trump a little feather in his cap, even though that wouldn't be deserved either. He has nothing to do with this. He's just a big orange buffoon walking around the White House playing golf. 
The president doesn't do anything. We give them way too much credit for things that they had nothing to do with and way too much blame for things that they had nothing to do with. All right, we're such a fucking stupid people, man. But anyway, they keep trying to use this to dethrone Donald Trump. But I don't even think it's necessary. I think he's, uh, he's already pretty fucked here. Do we really have to perpetuate this for another, what, four months just to get Biden elected? Is he that weak of a candidate? I mean, God forbid we should try to let the uh, economy open up again, let people get back to work. But it might actually go deeper than that. It might just be more than getting Donald Trump dethroned. I think it gives the left wing of our government a clear path to what they want all along, which is just pure dependency on the government. The longer they keep everything under wraps, the longer they keep businesses from reopening, people from going back to work, the more dependent people are going to be on, on their handouts, on the crumbs from their, from their table. And as long as they think that they can just create money out of thin air and give it to people, they're going to try to keep this party going. And they have a whole theory behind this, this modern monetary theory that, that basically gives them the justification from an economical standpoint to do just that, even though it's complete nonsense. I don't have you know that much time to, to really get into it today. That might be an episode for another time. But it basically just says that the national debt is nothing to worry about. Deficits don't matter. We don't have to worry about paying back any of this debt because we owe it to ourselves. And, uh, you know, inflation is nothing to worry about. We can print as much money as we want and, and do whatever, th anything that we want with it. <laughs> it. It's not modern and it's not really a theory, an economic theory. It's a bunch of bullshit. But we know that they're ramping up for another round of stimulus. They have the $600 a week in federal unemployment benefits. That's over at the end of this month. Like I talked about uh, probably on the last episode that at also at the end of this month, like we're going to start seeing that that delayed effect of um, all of these uh foreclosures and everything sort, sort of hit right around the same time. There's going to be a big push for another round of stimulus. Now, I don't know if the Republicans, being the fiscally conservative guys that they are, <laughs> have another $2 trillion stimulus package in them. I, I don't think they'll re-up the 600 but there is talk of doing something where they'll cap it. They'll, they'll give you like $450 a week or whatever, up to the point where whatever your prior salary was. So you're not going to be making more unemployed than when you were employed. But you'll be making as much, which still isn't going to solve the problem. If that's the compromise that they end up with for that portion of the, the next stimulus package, it, it's still not going to make a difference. People still aren't going to work for the same amount of money that they get for not working. Okay, I, I've been over this, but I mean, think of all the things that go along with working, all the added expense, all the added stress, dealing with coworkers that are a pain in the ass, figuring out what you're going to do with your kids, going to commute to work. It's all a pain in the ass. Nobody wants to work, okay? That's why they call it work. If it was fun, they'd call it fun. But the vast majority of Americans hate their jobs. So if you're going to offer them a deal where they can sit on their can all day, for the same amount of money or almost the same amount of money as them getting up at 6 a.m. And, and starting that the daily drudgery of going to work every day, of dealing with your asshole boss, dealing with obnoxious employees, 
dealing with difficult care and customers or, you know, doing the repetitive work or whatever, the menial task that you're doing, they're not going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. They'll collect the benefits as they should, as they should, as I talked about on the last show when we were going over unemployment benefits. They're making rational decisions. Nobody's going to do that. So they're still going to have the same problem. As long as you keep these benefits on the table, people are going to take advantage of them. You, it, it sounds harsh, but you have to cut them off. On the same, you know, at the same time, though, you can't stop the the checks from coming to people and also keep the economy locked down. Okay, if there was ever a case to be made. There was ever a libertarian case to be made for the government giving people money. It would be because the government is forcing people out of work, is keeping them locked in their houses for fear of this virus. So they're going to have to open things back up and stop these benefits or keep everything locked down and keep the benefits flowing. You tell me which way a Joe Biden presidency is going to take us. But I I don't think there's any doubt that there's another stimulus plan coming to us from the government. It's just a question of how big it's going to be and who's going to get the money. Because, you know, Republicans are going to want to use it for for businesses and to prop up the stock market. And Democrats are going to want to use it to to pay people not to work. I I think a trillion is sort of that that mental dollar amount that that Republicans can't get past. You know, and they price things at like 99, 90. Right. Um, I I think Republicans, just for the optics, want this next stimulus round to be under a trillion dollars. The problem is when you get stimulus. Right. Remember how we talked about stimulus is like a drug. It's like heroin or methadone or something like that to wean you off of heroin. Monetary methadone. We could call it that. The, The problem is since it's like a drug. You need a bigger and bigger dose of it each time you have a new stimulus round. Like this last round of stimulus has fizzled out. I think that's pretty obvious. We tried to open things back up in June and everybody freaked out with these bullshit numbers. And now we're, we're uh, backtracking on that. We're starting to see all these companies fail. The, the numbers aren't looking good. And that was with the $2 trillion stimulus and all of this Fed intervention into the markets and everything else. So... To do another round of stimulus that was smaller than the first one that's already fizzled out, it's just like throwing good money after bad. And it's not going to have the the same effect. Each time you shoot up the heroin, if you're taking a smaller dose, you're not going to get as high, right? That's what this stimulus is going to be like. Not that the, and remember, the stimulus doesn't really do anything to fundamentally help the economy. It just gets us high on the drug for a short period of time and especially when they roll it out like um, they did with the PPP plan where it's just they got all this money that they're trying to get out the door immediately right as as fast as they can there's very little oversight as I predicted there would be turns out that that some um, reporters have dug into where all that paycheck protection money went and surprise surprise a lot of it ended up on Wall Street In addition to all the uh, Fed stimulus they've been getting, Wall Street investors scored emergency government loans amid the pandemic. Now, this should be infuriating for a number of reasons to just about everybody, but it's just so predictable. 
I mean, I called this from a mile away that this was just going to be a boondoggle for anybody that that wanted to score some of this money. You just lie about it to the government. Of all the places to get emergency funds from the government during a pandemic, Wall Street investment firms should have been the last ones to do so. I mean, this is just so obvious. We're going to get into it here in just a second. But first like to take a second and thank our sponsor for today's show. You guys know them by now. It's our friends over at Lorenzotti Coffee. Lorenzotti, L-O-R, E as in Edward, N as in Nancy, Z as in Zebra, O-T-T-I dot coffee. If you go there and you use promo code FICTION, you will get 10% off your order of coffee. And if you order two tins of coffee, you'll get free shipping is a hell of a deal for your for your morning cup of joe it's a, a small independently run company by two liberty-minded entrepreneurs brought together by their love of good coffee and their inability to find it here in the states so they've come up with a way to get premium italian coffee brought right to your door and to supply the equipment that coffee houses need to give that independent coffee house feel that we all love so much that we all see throughout europe and especially in italy which i was supposed to be there up until last week i was just i was supposed to get back a week ago today we all know what happened with that our our friends at Lorenzotti coffee have have been working to bring that experience back here so that even if your trip to italy does get canceled you can still get yourself a good cup of coffee so go to lorenzotti.coffee use promo code fiction so they know i sent you and you'll get 10 percent off your order you'll help support the um sponsor that helps make this show possible it's uh one of those perfect capitalist win-win situations so lorenzotti.coffee promo code fiction all right now let's talk about hedge funds shall we hedge funds and investment firms fleecing the american people shocking right some investment firms including those that run hedge funds or manage money for wealthy investors are among the businesses approved for emergency u.s government loans to help small companies and nonprofits pay employees during the coronavirus lockdown according to data made public on monday they included Semper Capital Management, which bets more than $2 billion, billion with a B, on mortgage and other asset-backed securities. Domini Impact Investment, LLC, a mutual fund manager with about $2 billion under management. Brevet Holdings, $1.2 billion lending firm. Truvo Wealth Management, which manages more than $2 billion for large families and institutions. All told, the U.S. Small Businesses Administration said in a report on Monday that uh, finance and insurance firms represented $12.2 billion across 168,462 loans, about 2.3% of the program's total lending as of June 30. More than 1,400 approved loans were for businesses classified as investment advisors, and nearly 600 were for portfolio management companies, according to the data. Now, remember, what the PPP was is basically a forgivable grant. If you take the money and you use it to pay your employees, you don't have to pay any of that money back. And they're non-recourse grants as well. So if your company goes under, it's not like you're putting up any collateral or anything to get the loan. You're not personally responsible if you can't pay it back. If you have to pay it back for some reason and you can't, it's not like they can come repossess your car or something. They're non-recourse. There's no recourse for getting paid back. 
So it's a forgivable grant. And of course, if these uh, investment companies take this money, yeah, they'll use that money to pay their employees and all of the money that they, that's coming in that they were going to use to pay their employees, they'll just keep for themselves. Right. So as long as, you know, you use the money that the government gives you to pay your employees, that's great. But you still have all this money coming in. These guys are just going to be writing themselves huge bonuses. All, all these investment firms, they already have the money. The way an investment firm charges clients, for those of you who don't have money invested in the markets, it, it's typically a percentage of the assets under management uh, and profits and fees. So. Like a, a hedge fund, for example, have you ever heard of the two and 20 hedge funds charge th their um, investors, uh, their clients, a 2% a fee right off the top, right? And they take 20% of all the profits. That's the two and 20. Now, other investment firms, they just charge fees based on uh, your account balance and you know, how many trades they do for you, things like that. They just charge fees and they just take that money out of the money that, of yours that you have in your account. They don't have to have any money coming in. The money's already there. They just take a, a percentage of it out as fees. Okay. They don't have to deal with their clients in person. Everything's over the phone. They don't even do email because they don't want written records of the things that they discuss. When you get audited, you have to turn all that shit over. You don't want things in writing. You, you discuss it over the phone. Emails would just be one more headache, another thing that you have to keep track of, more data that you have to store, files that you have to keep for audit purposes in perpetuity. So they, they don't even do that. It's all done over the phone. And all of these guys can work from home. They're all like easily can work from home. They just need a computer with an internet connection. Everybody has that. So there was like no disruption to any of these businesses. And there was no reason for them to fear a disruption for any of, any of their businesses. Yeah, okay, the markets went down in March. They're way back up now. But markets going up and down, that's what that's the business that they're in okay that that's not that's not a justification for taking a couple billion dollars from in government handouts to pay your employees you, you, they don't need any of that money they've probably made more money during in the last couple of months than than they had uh last year and a large portion of of what their employee uh, the employees are probably making is based off of the the investments that they're doing right uh, th their salaries are are usually not like a, a big portion of their paycheck it's all it's all based on the volume that they do they get bonuses things like that this is this is nonsense this should make everybody i mean yeah it's only what 12 billion dollars i mean that's basically a rounding error but it just goes to show you how, how poor stewards of our money the government is and how they are guaranteed to mess up everything how everything they do is a disaster, and we should never entrust them with this type of responsibility again. How many times do we have to go through this? Why were they eligible for this in the first place? And they they essentially committed fraud on these applications by saying because you had to um you had to certify in good faith that you really needed the money, and none of these guys actually needed the money. It should be easy to but I mean they should be right off the bat just excluded from this. But the really unbelievable thing is that they came out and they said, the government said, if the loan was less than $2 million, they're just going to assume 
that it was made in good faith. They're not even going to look into it. They can't be bothered with doing due diligence on a loan that was less than $2 million. So anybody, you, me, any Joe Schmo off the street could have just submitted an application for our fake company for $1.99 million, gotten the money, and the government wouldn't even care. They wouldn't even look into it. That sounds like uh, a plan and an organization that I would like to give more money to, doesn't it? More of your hard-earned money so that they can just throw it at the wall and see what sticks. Dole it out to, to firms with $2 billion under management. Unbelievable. Their, their business model is not affected by a shutdown, by the shutdown that, say, a restaurant was. I mean, that makes sense. Restaurant, you have to have customers coming in all the time. You have to have workers like preparing the food and, and serving it to people or delivering it and people to clean the, the kitchen and everything, wait staff, all, the, all that stuff. Those people can't work if the restaurant isn't open. That makes sense from a, a paycheck protection plan perspective. But an investment firm, a hedge fund, I mean, this is bullshit. This is the the rigged system that everybody hates. And you know they just had a bunch of lobbyists or whatever get them exemptions into this bill, get that written in there, because it's Wall Street. They got tons of money to throw around. The Fed is just pumping in trillions of dollars for them. So not only do they get that, then they get to use that money to peddle influence in Washington and get some more free money, free money that they don't have to pay back. It must be nice. It must be nice while Joe Sixpack is sitting at home. He lost his job. He, he's getting his hopefully you know $600 a week extra in unemployment benefits. That, that the guy, you know, trading, uh, doing like fixed income trading, doing a $50 million deal with, tre- with the Treasury Department or something like that, collecting a percentage of that is also getting, uh, his firm is also getting a paycheck protection plan money. Yeah, uh, another job well done. A government program nailed it right on the head. Money went exactly to where it needed to be, from a government's perspective, of course, not from the people's perspective. Isn't it funny how that always it always works out that way? No matter what happens, it always just goes to the politically connected in D.C. and Wall Street, and that's it. Keep that in the back of your mind while we go over the next investment that Joe Biden wants to make with your money. Investment, in the loosest sense of the word, Joe Biden has unveiled his two trillion, another two trillion, another two trillion dollar plan to move the U.S. to 100 percent clean energy by 2035. Okay, so before we get into this, just right off the bat, anytime the government says they're going to do 100 percent something, just know that nothing is going to happen. They'll be closer to zero than they are to 100%, guaranteed. Um, it's like when they say we want comprehensive immigration reform or compre- comprehensive health care reform. The word comprehensive is code for we don't want anything to get done. The goals are too lofty and too ill-defined. By making it comprehensive, you guarantee that that nothing gets done. 100% clean energy it's impossible. That is a fantasy. That is never going to happen in a hundred years, let alone by 2035. So just keep that in mind as we read through this article. Joe Biden on Tuesday will call for setting a 100% clean electricity standard by 2035 and investing $2 trillion over four years on clean energy. Three people familiar with his plan said Monday. The Democratic nominee's new commitments mark a clear shift toward progressives 
environmental priorities and cutting the use of fossil fuels. The people briefed on this plan spoke on condition of anonymity ahead of his formal rollout on Tuesday in Wilmington, Delaware. The $2 trillion in spending across four years is in place of the more modest $1.7 trillion over 10-year plan that the Biden campaign proposed last year while fighting for the nomination. Most of the investments in the new proposal, there's that word again, investments, would be one-time costs with the goal of spending the money, that's more like it, spending the money, to maximize to the maximum extent possible during those four years. As BBG reports uh, acknowledges, the Biden plan leaves out some of the more extreme proposals included in the New Deal, though not for want of trying. Yet the challenge for Biden lies in convincing progressive voters that he hasn't left them short, even as he set aside some of the more ambitious moves called for in the Green New Deal, championed by left-wing Democrats, including AOC of New York. Biden's new proposals bring him closer to the positions of his more progressive former primary opponents, including Elizabeth Warren and Governor Jay Inslee. Inslee had proposed a 100% clean electricity standard by 2035 that Warren later endorsed. So he's taken a, a page from their book, apparently. Biden foreshadowed his proposals at a Monday fundraiser, telling donors that 2050 is a million years from now in the minds of most people. My plan is focused on taking action now, this decade, in the 20s. Another great example of this is Biden's plan to create Climate Corps, which has been described as a climate conservation corps modeled after the work relief programs of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Biden will also take Obama's electric vehicle tax credits one step further and instead hand out cash vouchers, allowing citizens to trade in their gas-powered cars for electric models. Ah, yes, a, a chicken in every pot, a Tesla in every garage, right? Um, no wonder Tesla's stock is going through the roof. Now, look, I, I know that this sort of thing really plays well to a large portion of the population. Say, oh, yes, the government should invest more in clean energy, and we, this is the, the, the energy of the future, and we need to, we need to keep the planet clean and, and climate change and investment in green energy, right? Get us off of fossil, fuel, fossil fuels. And even though it's a really ambitious goal, if we you know, shoot for the moon and miss, you still end up among the stars, right? That's probably what some of the crap that, that's going to be going around when they talk about this. I mean, first of all, they, they keep using this word investment, and it drives me crazy when politicians say that they're going to invest in this or they're going to invest in that. They're not investing. Okay, that, that is not an investment. They are stealing from you. Okay, they are taking money from some people and doling it out to the politically connected and all the lobbyists that have their ear and all of their, everybody that, that's trying to curry favor in Washington so that they can get reelected. That, that's their idea of investing. I mean, it is an investment from their perspective. They're investing in their next election campaign by taking money from you and me and giving it to people who are going to help them get elected later on down the road. That's what they mean by investment. And when it comes to actually investing in companies, the government sucks at it. Does everybody remember Solyndra under the Obama administration? That was the new green energy thing way back then. Um, they lost $500 million. That's a hell of an investment. Did any, were there any consequences for that? No. 
No. How did they pick that company? Oh, well, they were politically connected. They all, everybody that worked for that company got huge bonuses. They paid themselves a shitload of money. They burned through $500 million and declared bankruptcy within like a year, something like that. That's the government investment for you. We don't want them investing, okay? They suck at it. They suck at it. They have no idea how to invest in a, in a good company. They don't even care. It's all about which company is going to give them a, a political edge, and that's who gets the money. And it, it, there, there's a term in economics called crowding out. There, there's only so much money to go around. And when they take money from the private sector and they extract those resources from, from businesses, from individuals, and they direct them to a certain industry, you crowd out other investment in that industry. And you're, you're sucking resources from the productive part of the economy. And as we saw with companies like Solyndra, they're, they're taking money from the productive sector of, of the economy and throwing it down a rabbit hole. The government shouldn't be in the business of investing. That is not why we have a government. Government doesn't e exist to take money from some people and invest it in the stock market or invest it in companies. They're, they're not, you know, they're not venture capitalist firm. It's a government. It, it, it was created to protect our individual rights, maybe provide some national defense. And, and all of a sudden, they're investing in green energy companies? Like, what the hell is going on here? This is not what this was supposed to be. And maybe green energy is the way. Maybe the electric car is the wave of the future. There's a good chance that it is. I don't know. But who's to say that whatever company they're going to come up with, like Tesla, is going to be the one to break through on this? Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. People always forget that there is a cost to the green energy, too. Like making the batteries is more pollutive. The, the process of making the batteries the electric batteries and disposing of them is actually worse for the environment than just driving a regular gasoline car. When they're analyzing these green energy companies, they only look at one aspect. They're like, okay, well, the car burns gasoline and that's, you know, that causes XYZ to the environment. And then this electric car, well, you just charge it up and go and it doesn't have XYZ. It's like, yeah, but you had TUV WXYZ going into that battery to, to make the car do that, that you don't have in the gasoline car, in the fossil fuel. And then you have another problem with the disposing of the batteries and things like that. Now, that's not to say that we, we couldn't come up with fixes for that in the future, no doubt. But the only way we're going to figure out what's viable and what isn't is to let individual investors put their own money on the line, their own skin in the game. You let the individual choices of hundreds of millions of people figure out what the best, most viable energy alternatives are. Not a, a handful of bureaucrats in Washington who are getting money thrown at them from, from certain companies and have a conflict of interest there. There's never been a government investment that's panned out, ever. Everything they touch is a disaster. They screw up everything. I don't know how many times, how many more times are we going to go through this exercise? This is it, literally the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Joe Biden is going to get us off of fossil fuels, really? The guy can't even put a fucking sentence together. He's going to get us off of, he's going to create a plan to get us off of fossil fuels. Everything in your room right now, everything you see right now, 
only exists because of fossil fuels. And Joe Biden, the guy that can't string a full, a complete sentence together, is going to be the guy that takes us off of this in, in the next 15 years. Give me a fucking break. I mean, this is insane. This is absolutely insane. And it's not an investment. It's just a giveaway to donors and lobbyists. They pretend to be concerned with an issue. And it doesn't matter what the issue is, right? Once they do their polling or whatever and they determine what their voters want, what's important to them, they come up with a plan to solve the problem, right? This is, you know, the big thing on the left is fossil fuels and climate change, right? So we're going to be at 100% uh, clean energy electricity by 2035 they throw out these these ridiculous um dates that they're going like how do you what how do you even like first of all how do you come up with a plan to do that you could engineer a plan that intricate to make sure that the entire country is 100 percent all doing the same thing in the next 15 years right down to like what, what somebody mows their lawn with? And when has a government plan ever gone according to plan? When has it ever worked out? It's like, how do you even like hit these? Oh, they just like throw out these percentages. Oh, by 2025, we'll be at 85%. And then uh, by 2030, we'll be at 35%. Because what? We're going to do X, Y, and Z with tax credits and incentives. And, and people aren't going to change their behavior to get around all that shit. And of course, there's never any accounting for any future inventions or um, economic advancements or revolutionary ideas because nobody knows what's coming down the pike in, in the next 10 years. They just take the current path that we're on and they extrapolate everything off of that as if nothing is ever going to change anywhere. These plans are worthless. I mean, it's just way, there are way too many variables in a plan like that for it to be even remotely considered feasible. But really what these plans are is a bunch of lobbyists and, and firms that are involved in that industry writing legislation. The lobbyists throw some money around in exchange for some taxpayer money in return down the road or some competitive edge in their industry. You know, it's funny. I uh, if, if you talk to a lobbyist, they will tell you that every company needs a lobbyist. It's unfathomable to them that a company could function without a lobbyist in D.C. to work on their behalf, to make sure that they get their language into the next bill, to make sure that they're involved in whatever the next boondoggle is. And that's the problem. That, that is the problem, that Washington is so intertwined with the economy. We don't have a free market in anything anymore. Everything has to flow through the government now. you got to get their nod of approval. And there's no incentive for them to fix these problems, any problem, really. The incentives are just the opposite. The longer they perpetuate a problem, the more money and power they get the more control they get, the more that they can suck resources away from the rest of us to supposedly deal with the problem. Now, if they fix the problem, those resources dry up, and then they have to come up with a new problem and convince us that that's the the next big thing. Whereas if they just have these ridiculous, impossible goals to achieve, they can do that in perpetuity. I guarantee you there was a politician saying that we'd be at 100% fossil fuel free by 2020. 20 years ago. I mean, I'm sure that wouldn't be hard to dig up. That's why they love these lofty, impossible goals. 100% fossil fuel free in 15 years. Or some vague, ill-defined, impossible-to-solve problem, like climate change. 
or economic inequality or racism. None of those can be solved. So the price tag is limitless. Not only can they not be solved, but the government has incentives to exacerbate them or at the very least perpetuate the perception that the problems are getting worse, like in the case of racism uh, or, or climate change, right? Why? Because they get more money, and they can use that money to, to peddle influence and get reelected and things like that. Biden will get up behind the podium and tell you how noble he is and how worried he is about you and your family, and that's why he's demanding that we, we, get, we spend $2 trillion, nay, we invest two trillion dollars because he cares because he cares about you he's worried he's worried about all of us and then when he gets it and they inevitably blow it on all sorts of bullshit like they did with the ppp money send it off to wall street dole it out to all their politically connected buddies the bankers investment firms anybody who's going to help him get reelected or help his buddies get reelected He'll climb back behind the podium and brag about how he dedicated $2 trillion to the problem because he cares so much. And of course, he'll need more this time because well, we didn't quite solve the problem, but we're almost there. We just need another couple more trillion. You know, the first $80 trillion that we spent on all this horseshit didn't make a dent, but the next $2 trillion, that's going to do it. That's definitely going to do it. But of course, he only made the problem worse. And he probably created 20 new problems in the process. That's how government in intervention works. You, you, you try to solve one problem, at least allegedly, and, and you end up creating five, six, maybe 10 more problems on top of that through unintended consequences. But it, then he's going to be out there you know, going around, puffing out his chest, his head held high as if he sacrificed something for the $2 trillion, as if he reached into his own pocket and stroked a check. That's what he's going to have you believe. That's the perception he's going to give. And not just him. It's every Democratic or every politician acts like all of this money that they are stealing from us, stealing from us and using 90% of it to line their pockets and the pockets of the politically connected. All of them act like it's coming from their own personal bank accounts. Like they really struggled for that money. They worked hard for it. And it's, it's something that they're going to sacrifice so that the rest of us can all be better off and have our problems solved. When in fact, it's not coming from their personal bank accounts. It's going into their personal bank accounts. There is nothing noble about spending other people's money or demanding other people's sacrifice and pay for your pet projects. Okay, there is nothing worthy of praise there. The same thing goes for taxation, demanding that, you know, rich people pay more in taxes because you like X, Y and Z projects to be to be funded. There's nothing noble about that. You want to be noble. You reach into your own pocket and you stroke a check for your cause because you believe in it and you're you're willing to put your money where your mouth is. They act like they're being charitable. Like they're just being our humble servants and that we should be thanking them and praising them for their, their dutiful work for the American people. That's not charity, okay? And it's not investment. It's theft. And they aren't serving us. They're fleecing us every step of the way. So don't be fooled when you, when you hear these politicians talking about how they're going to take all of this money and, and use it to help you and me. They're not. 
They're not. They're going to take that money from you and me and use it to help themselves. That is the natural human condition, and politicians, believe it or not, are human, and and they're going to act in their own self-interest. And the problem is the incentive structure of government is for them to never solve any problems because they get rewarded for not solving problems and they get punished, in a sense, for actually solving something. They get more money and more praise for acting like they're solving problems, for pretending to care about problems, and they still get as much credit as they would as if they had actually solved something. I mean, what did Barack Obama actually accomplish? What did he do to make your life actually better? Or, any, or solve any of these problems that they talk about. Nothing. But he's a deity now. They're incentivized to fail. And if you contrast that with the free market, the beautiful thing of the free market is that all of the incentives are to solve problems as quickly and as efficiently as possible, as cheaply as possible, using as little resources as possible. And if you succeed, you're rewarded. And if you fail, you go away. And it doesn't matter how good your intentions were. You can't get up to a podium and try to explain to your shareholders, oh, well, I, I, my heart was in the right place. I know that I lost all of your money and I have nothing to show for it. But at least, you know, I tried and I care about you and, and all this. No, no, nobody gives a shit about that in the free market. It's the bottom line. Did you get it done or did you not? And think of how much more slack government officials get, politicians get, than a company in the free market. I mean, if you have one bad experience at a company, that's it. Like if your food comes and it's cold, you might never go there again. And they'll go out of business like really, really quickly. A a government, a politician can fuck up astronomically, uh, can vote for us to get entangled into the two longest wars in American history, completely destroy countries in the Middle East, hundreds of thousands of people killed, millions of lives ruined, And there's no repercussions for it. They keep getting elected. We we keep making excuses for them. There are no excuses in the free market. It's the exact opposite of all the incentives of, of government. And if government is bad, if government is evil, and they always fail, the opposite of that would have to be fantastic. And that is the free market. And that is what we need a lot more of. We do not need any more government. We do not need any more investment. We need to unleash free market capitalism and the beneficial incentive structures that go along with it. All right, I'm going to wrap there for today, guys. Thank you all so very much for tuning in once again to the Peddling Fiction Podcast. Do me a favor, download and subscribe, share the show with your friends, follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction, and don't forget to check out our YouTube page. Justin's putting a lot of work into that. He's been cranking out a lot of clips and everything, shorter clips, like, you know, six seven-minute clips, things like that, that should be pretty shareable, pretty good ways to introduce somebody to a topic maybe and and get them interested in the show. So check that out and maybe spread some of those clips around the interwebs to help uh, spread the word of liberty. And if you want to become a supporting listener of the show, you can do that by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. And if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back on Friday with a brand new episode for you. Until then, just remember to keep on paddling that so-called fiction.